Tonight, we begin an examination of a massive cover-up with lies, misinformation, deception, rampant corruption in the Russian government. No, this isn't a series about the 2016 election. It's Chernobyl. The Chernobyl After Show starts now. You're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz Yes, welcome to the Chernobyl After Show. I'm Christian Blatt with my panelists. Say hello, Jeremy. Hello, I'm Jeremy Dan, professor at USC Marshall School of Business. Uh, and Julana at the end, say hello. Hey guys, I'm Julana. Very excited to be talking about something a little bit different today than what I normally talk about here in After Buzz. <laughs> yeah, a lot of the shows that I do at After Buzz are, uh, involve Marvel superheroes. Uh, this is a little different than that. I also do the Trump Report, though, so, uh, you know, politics is uh, a little bit at the forefront. Um, so, uh, Julana, I'm going to ask you first, just because... You're clearly the youngest of the three of us. Um, what was your understanding of the the accident at Chernobyl before you watched the episode? Or maybe before you watched the episode, did you like, oh, I should really look into this? Or did you just go into it with, you know, what did you know heading into the watching the show? Well, to be completely honest, at, at the sake of being also a little bit embarrassing, I really didn't know that much about the whole event. Mm-hmm. I... The word sounded familiar to me, sure. so I've obviously heard it, you know, maybe in passing, but I really didn't know that many facts or details about it. Right. And I think that, you know, uh, people who uh, – so when it happened, I was 10, and I remember it, but uh, – and, you know, look, we're we're not really competing with them. HBO has a great podcast about this show that I think everybody should listen to. And they do talk about it. Uh, the uh, The creator talks about how – for him, just a few months earlier, the explosion of the Challenger was something that he remembered much more. And I, I remember that moment a lot more because that was a, a, an American tragedy. This was something that kind of came out through the news and little by little it was, you know, just drips. Uh, so I certainly knew about it that in terms of it was something that was happening. Um, if there had been a sketch on Saturday Night Live, I would learn it that way. You, that's how I got most of my information at that point in my life. And uh, But, you know, I, I think that I, I knew about it, but I was just sort of assuming that it's not something that there's a lot of attention, you know, paid to. Um, it's kind of like, for me, I know what Three Mile Island was, but I was three, so I don't remember anything about it. Uh, Jeremy, your understanding from the time, uh, how much do you remember from when the story first broke and then as it obviously got to be a bigger and bigger story? Yeah, I certainly remember this as an event in the news. The news wasn't on in the background at all times like it is in our society right, right you know, now. In, in my house, the TV was actually not on all that often. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is so, crazy to think about. So now we have in the car often, you know, serious radio and sure. we're listening to news at home, just news in the background, 24-hour news coverage. We used to have breaking news, and when they meant that, it was really breaking news, and people would call each other and say, you better turn on the news. And this was at the, again, you mentioned it wasn't in America, but it was at the borderline of one of those kinds of things. We'll talk about, you know, Three Mile Island sure. and kind of the zeitgeist a little later of what was going on in the culture. But when you hear there's an explosion at a nuclear power plant and possible meltdown and all of these things, that definitely caught a lot of people's attention at the times. And and we knew, you know, you didn't know how far that cloud would drift and all that. And definitely people in Europe were much more concerned about that. We'll probably see that 
play out in the show, but people around the world cared and paid attention to this. Yeah, and I think that uh, obviously there is nuclear energy without incident in a lot of the a lot of the Western world, a lot of the world just in general. But uh, because of these two incidents, uh, Three Mile Island, especially Chernobyl, it it, it really. I, can't, I don't actually remember the date, but there hasn't been a new one built in the United States in, in quite some time. It's not something that's considered viable just because of just how bad it could get. But obviously, the the Soviet Union, you don't look at the world that way. It's like, well, we're going to build a nuclear power plant, and then you, you start working on it because that's what you that's what you're there to do. You know, you, it's like you're going to live in this town, you're going to build a nuclear power plant, you're going to work at it, and you know that's going to be the your day to day. They also had a huge belief in faith. In science. Sure. And we're investing in that. They were investing in their productivity and their future. We That plays out a little bit with some of the things the characters said later that we'll talk about. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. About, but they had had a lot of victories in science and and a, a trust in science and the way it could help them progress. Of course, nuclear was something they'd invest in a lot. Uh, well, before we dive into the episode itself, uh, each week we'll do a little bit of a, 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 a little lighthearted segment before you dive into the uh, seriousness and depression and horror of the episode itself. Uh, a little fun thing that uh, we'll, we'll take a page from, uh, speaking of Saturday Night Live, uh, Goat Boy would have a, a segment called Remember the 80s. So uh, let's take a moment and remember the 80s. And, you know, we were doing an email chain before the show. Uh, Jeremy, you thought you would be the only one to remember the 80s, but uh, <laughs> I remember the 80s better than I remember the 90s. So uh, so what were just a couple of things that you think would be interesting for people to know to kind of put this in context? Well, this one still ain't so fun because a big part of 80s zeitgeist was uh, the atom sure. and nukes. And again, we mentioned Three Mile Island in 1979. That's the closest uh, America's come to a major, major meltdown. That's a, a nuclear installation in Pennsylvania had a, a minor meltdown. Uh, but that one was contained more, uh, even to the point that Jimmy Carter toured the facility with the governor of uh, uh, Pennsylvania just days later. Uh, the cleanup started in 79. It was not officially ended until 1993. So just just think about right. that. That and was a minor nuclear incident that took all those years y- to clean yeah, up. Yeah, I mean, there's actually no comparison between the two incidents other than the fact that they were both nuclear plants. But right. uh, the, the, I was going to say fallout, but I actually didn't mean it like as a, as a <laughs> But the, the ramifications were completely different. Yeah. yeah so. and, and nukes were also in a, our popular culture in a way they just aren't today. So for instance, in 1983, there was a TV uh, movie called Special Bulletin, which was actually a War of the Worlds style news footage kind of show. And it was about domestic nuclear terrorism in uh, Charleston Harbor. A lot of people said that was way ahead of its time. We also had what uh, some people remember, uh, a show called The Day After. And that was about a major, major uh, World War III and nuclear war between the United States 
and the Soviet Union and Steve Gutenberg, Joe Beth Williams and Jason Robards and John Lithgower. And that was a major release, had a lot of depictions of fallout and radiation sickness, etc. And also, who can forget War Games? I mean, War Games was about nuclear war and, and being in bunkers and all that. So not about uh, nuclear reactors, but about atomic energy, about the atom bomb, and about uh, people very concerned about radiation. And also, who can forget Red Dawn, which starts with a nuclear war, right. and we have the aftermath uh, yeah, and I mean, it's something if you grow up in that age, you know, it's something that you're always aware of. There's this concept that they called mutually assured destruction, that if you got into a nuclear war between the United States and Russia, you would both be completely decimated. And everybody else in between, you know, the, 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 they would, uh, you know, be on the receiving end of that as well. So uh, – and I'm not of the age where we would do the duck and cover drills. Oh, yeah. But uh, you're, you're certainly well – I'm not either. No, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, you'll see some uh, some great video – not video, but it was film of, you know, it's like, well, you know, if there's a nuclear blast, let's hide under your desk. Because yeah. that's what's going to really help. And uh, believe it or not, Juana, this. <laughs> but, All this is new. I wasn't even born in yeah. 89, so I'm I, just. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's, uh, you know, and just, it was, but yeah, I mean, and it's so much a part of popular fiction. You know, I mean, I've talked about how I do a lot of uh, shows here about Marvel superheroes. Most of your best known Marvel superheroes. It's from some kind of radiation. The Hulk, it's gamma radiation. The Fantastic Four, it's radiation. So it's like everything was about all this radiation. Ever all the X-Men. Yeah. Well, yeah. They were born. Child they became the mutants for that exact uh-huh. same reason. So uh, it, it was such an important part of it. And then also there was the other side of it, which factors so heavily into this, which is the Soviet Union. And it, it was it was definitely us versus them. Uh, you know, uh, I believe 1986 also brought us uh, Rocky Four. So what <laughs> better representation of that could there be um so uh john as you're watching this story unfold uh not really knowing that much about it and again this is just such the beginning of the story uh what kind of stood out as you were watching it was there any theme anything recurrent that kept coming up that surprised you or just uh you know, maybe it was a little startling as you, as you watched i mean definitely startling in the fact for me that you know, kind of like the girlfriend, um, she notices that something doesn't look right, but still people aren't very concerned about it. And I feel like that's relevant. Even if something were to happen today, people might look at it and be like, that seems weird, but it's probably fine. I'll just live my life and things will be fine. Right. I, yeah. I mean, and, and again, this was one of the things that they talked about on the HBO podcast, which is, you know, people are like, there's a fire at the right. nuclear power plant. Mm-hmm. Most of us would think, like, well, I'm going to have to leave town. And then they're just like, well, let's, let's go let's see go it. it. Yeah, and, and then, you know, obviously it, it's great filmmaking from just sort of a, a tragedy standpoint. Just you, you see the kids frolicking and not even talking about the end of the episode. Just at that point when they're all gathered and watching and the ash is falling mm-hmm. and they're, like, playing in it like it's, like it's snow. snow yeah. yeah, and... Uh, yeah, and and it's uh, the girlfriend character you're talking about, and uh, thanks to Jeremy for giving us a very <laughs> handsome uh, color co- color coded uh, character name with the actors. Uh, that's Ludmila Agnetenko. Hmm. The Russian names are going to be really hard here, mm-hmm. uh, portrayed by Jesse Buckley. Yeah, every indication is she she's just you just feel like she's pregnant, and I know she might be the only smart person in this town mm-hmm. because she's like. 
no, 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 don't go over there. I mean, that's a that's a nuclear power plant. Let's let's stay away. Oh, it's just the roof that's on fire. I I, I think. That the roof being on fire is still enough to not go towards it. But, you know, what do I know? Well, I would argue her and also the nurse. That nurse that had a feeling, she, you know, she yeah. thought it was weird that nobody had doctor. come in from the fire. Full oh, on doctor. That was, okay. Oh, great. Yeah. Even better. Yeah. Well, and she also knew to take a nap. So, uh, but yeah, that's true. She's just like, there's no one coming from the fire. And, and the, the doctor who tells the story about like, let me tell you about a busy day where there were 10 kids born. <laughs> uh, which uh, it was, is a nice touch setting the stage for what we see at the end of the episode. All the ambulances showing up. And she didn't just have the kind of general malaise about what was going on. She had the specific malaise of we're about to see some some nuclear issues yeah, do we, in here. And do we have, they said iodine. We say yeah. iodine. Right. And that's a, a substance. When you take potassium iodide, it, it fills the thyroid up, doesn't let nuclear materials right. uh, get in there. And it helps you dissipate it faster. So she knew and, and kind of wasn't able to act on it. No one else was prepared in that hospital, even though it was probably the main hospital that they took injuries from that plant. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll uh, dive into the specifics of the show and the story itself. But uh, first, uh, I believe, Jelana, would you like to share a very important message with uh, our audience? Yes, always, always. Hey, guys, before we move into our next topic, we just want to say, first of all, thank you for making us the ESPN of TV talk. For us to continue to grow, we could use your help. If you're on YouTube right now, please hit that thumbs up button and subscribe. And if you're on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating. But no matter where you are, leave us a comment so you can get involved in the conversation. We love to have back and forth with our fans and people that are watching. And being a part of AfterBuzz TV has meant so much to all of us, and we truly appreciate you supporting us and doing what we love. Don't forget to tell your friends and keep enjoying all of our shows. And this will be a different kind of conversation. I really look forward to this. I think people who are going to watch this show really take kind of the politics and history seriously. Yeah, and you could tell that the the creators uh, certainly did. Uh, In the chat, we have Mint Latte, which uh, is an excellent handle. Uh, I thought I was watching a horror movie. Truth really is stranger than fiction. That's uh, that, I think that sums it up perfectly. It was filmed quite a bit like a ho- horror movie. The, yeah. the darkness aspect, the creaking doors that they had to go in. Yeah, especially when they're they're trying to you know get into the pump room and things like that, and the door won't open, and they're working really hard to open it. So it really heightens that. No, no, no! Don't open that door. That door's closed for a reason. You don't want to go in there. Uh, so. Uh, one of the things that you get into a lot of times when uh, a story is set in another country is that you have the decision, uh, you know, I, I personally uh, didn't need this show to be in Russian with subtitles for the whole time. Uh, I think because it's a co-production with Sky TV in the UK, we have a lot of, we have, well, really all British actors. And it's okay. It just takes you outside for the first minute or two. And uh, I, they do talk about that on the HBO podcast as well. And uh, I, I think it was the right call. Uh, Joanna, do, is it something that you really thought of? Or, you know, is it, uh, does it make sense that uh, we're going to have English-speaking actors, whether they be American or British, one way or the other? I think it makes sense. And like you mentioned, the podcast, um, I love that they have a podcast to go with it to yeah. kind of just give us some extra, you know, why and the thinking going in behind it. But... I agree. It would be very hard to watch it if it were all in Russian. Yeah. Which would be the most true version of it. But in the podcast, the director mentions how he didn't want it that way and he wanted it to be just an English 
so the actors can actually act that way, and we, it doesn't get lost in translation by trying to stay true to certain accents or whatnot. Yeah, and one of the things they talk about, Jeremy, is that when you give you know English speakers just the Russian accent, it, it does turn into Boris and Natasha mm-hmm. from the Rocky and Bull- Bullwinkle show, which we remember. Yeah, right. <laughs> Not the original. No, run. I remember it in reruns, <laughs> the movie with Robert De Niro. No, just kidding. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think that uh, I think it was the right call. And uh, for me, one of the few recognizable faces is Jared Harris, uh, who plays uh, Legasov. Close enough. Uh, he, Legasov, is probably closer, but probably also still wrong. Uh, and then the interesting thing is they start the story, uh, you know, sort of jumping ahead to uh, from the incident itself. And fans of the show Mad Men will remember Jared Harris's character, <laughs> and they will remember that uh, he also hung himself. <laughs> so uh, I was just like, oh, no, not again. <laughs> so uh, I thought it was uh, it was interesting. And obviously the, it's, it's a good way to kind of, you know, frame the whole story. And as they mentioned uh, in, in the background on the podcast, he did actually record these tapes. So that's not just something that they're using as a device to frame the show. Mm-hmm. It's actually what he did. And he did uh, hang himself uh, two years to the day from when the incident happened. Uh, so uh, I think it's certainly interesting. But uh, uh, Jeremy, from a storytelling standpoint, uh, talk about having you know this this character that we're going to be very invested in over the next five weeks, maybe a little bit less this week, uh, and we see him die in the first few minutes. I think it was a very interesting decision. It got me really hooked from the be the very beginning. First of all, uh, Jared Harris is someone uh, that I think brings. This really intellectual professor-like, um, you think he's going to be meek and mild-mannered, but he still brings this intensity and strength. And if you saw him as Professor Moriarty, even, just someone oh, yeah. that, that seemed so meek and mild in a lot of ways, was so uh, badass, strong, uh, every uh, beyond Sherlock Holmes in, in most ways. And um, I, I'm really looking forward to what he brings to bear in this. And so I think that was a great casting, great decision on the storytelling structure. We also get to see a little bit, and I actually rewound this. We Maybe we get a foreshadowing of, in part, why he commits suicide. I, I did not Google the full story of him. I know a lot of people yeah, probably I, did. Just to interject, I thought of doing that, and then I, especially because I'm doing this show, yeah. I decided that, you know, let me not do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you look him up, Juliana? Or, yeah, I didn't. See, I think that's, that's good. Anyway, yeah. so what were you- well, because I did notice in the show how he how his skin looked and his general uh, his general coloring and all that compared to what was just two years earlier. Obviously, there were so many health effects, and sure. you know, I'm just wondering if his suicide was because of the health effects in part. And uh, so it'll be interesting to see the consequences of the people that were on site and the people in the government. And from outside, just normal citizenry who who tried to help and, and the toll it took on them. Yeah. Uh, so the uh, episode is called 12345. And I'm somewhat stupid because when I clicked on uh, HBO Now to watch it, I thought that that was the runtime. I'm like, oh, Me this too. Is, I'm like, this is longer than I thought it was going to be. But OK, that's fine. <laughs> and then when it was over an hour, I'm like, oh. Well, I must have read that wrong. And then uh, just an idiot. And eventually it dawned on me like, oh, that's the time. Uh, Juliana, what did you think about the way in which the accident unfolds on screen, which is 
silently, off in the distance, no one paying attention to it, which, in all honesty, is the way probably that a lot of these sort of things happen. Right. Well, first of all, I think you weren't the only one that made that mistake because I also felt the same way. Okay, good. So (laughs) so we're saying that we're all not as bright as we should be. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I just think it's it really magnifies the whole fact that not that many people in the world really know what's going on even in your own city. You know, obviously they knew there was a nuclear power plant there, but like we mentioned before, they saw it, didn't think anything of it, even though you or I would think that might be something dangerous. Um, But I think from the standpoint, having the explosion happen first and everything was like from the podcast, like they were saying, it sets the stage and we already know that this is what the show is about. So it makes sense that the biggest thing happens first because everybody already knows that the explosion happened. And the, the reason that I feel people are watching the series is to find out why and what happened after and what happened to all those people, not just the event. And a really standard way to tell that part of the story, I think, might be to have that control room scene where the dials are going out of control and their steam is popping out. But they have that quick, sudden surprise as well in the control room and the accident itself very mild mannered for them we don't uh, in that way we we just see the aftermath and them dealing with it and remember these people are i think hundreds of yards away from the actual incident they weren't right outside this and weren't feeling the effects immediately so they have trouble telling what's going on from uh, such a distance. Yeah, it, a little bit of the information about the actual power plant that uh, I learned from, again, the HBO podcast, is that it would take you about 20 to 30 minutes to walk from one end to the other. So it's actually very long. It's a very large facility. So, yeah, you could be in the building and not have any idea what's going on and not really feeling the uh, after effects. Uh, I thought that uh, one of the most important characters in the episode was uh, 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 well, Dyatlov, played by Paul Ritter, because he's the the boss that we first meet. So he's like a lower level boss, but he is the first boss, and he's the one who's just convinced that no, you're wrong. The core has not exploded. It can't happen, and and that is, I think it's twofold. One is. It can explode because of what that would mean and just how terrible it would be, but also just because, no, we've been told that that won't happen, you know, and to sort of the explanation for the way people are responding to the fact that like, oh, let's go look at the fire at the nuclear power plant. It would be the same if it was a a hydroelectric plant, you know, some kind of wind farm. It doesn't matter what kind of power it is. It's like, oh, it's just the big thing in town. Let's go watch it burn. You know, wind farms don't fail in that spectacular kind of fashion. Well, no matter what some political figures say. Not yet. Not yet. But, uh, yeah. No, exactly. But, look, if you're driving out to Palm Springs by all those uh, those windmills and they're on fire, you're going to probably stop and take some pictures. Uh, So I thought it was interesting, though, that uh, Dyatlov... Will, and I'm just going to say all the Russian names with authority like I'm pronouncing them correct. That sounded that's, pretty good That's going to be the new way to do it. Uh, that he was just like, you know, several people told him that's what happened and what they saw. And he's like, no, you're wrong. You have to go look again. And he takes that all the way up until his bosses until he projectile vomits and collapses. Uh, so, uh, Jeremy, talk a little bit about how this is really indicative of the Soviet 
power structure. I don't even mean from you know a political standpoint. Just you know, obviously these appointments are somewhat political, but you know this is just a day to day operations. This guy is a boss. He has bosses to answer to. Uh, talk a little bit about that that kind of structure that went with it. Well, essentially every managerial position, for the most part, as much as they pride themselves on science and all that. Uh, political appointees were in real positions of power. So I think he probably he was a nuclear professional, but we see the way the local apparatus was brought in, and in particular that decision-making structure when there were people around the, the table when they brought the, the local party officials into the vault, the, the bunker, and a, a younger member started raising some doubts talking about the sky-glowing... Well, yeah, he was bringing facts into it of, I saw this, I'm smart enough, I know what this means. And then you have people saying, like, no, you're wrong, it doesn't mean that. And, of course, you have the older party official who, you know, this is 1986, he is of an age where he remembers Lenin. And he is, look, you know, in this day and age, that's that's a hardcore ride-or-die communist. That guy is, like, he's, he's... you know, died in the wool, tried or true. None of this, none of this Gorbachev nonsense. You know, no, no Glasnost, no Perestroika. He's just like, no, this is what we do. And I, I, the indication from the podcast, correct me if I'm wrong, is that a, a speech somewhat like that, maybe not quite as eloquent, was delivered in that room. Everybody got hyped up. Mm-hmm. People did applaud, and they were like, "Yes, this is what we're going to do." Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Juliana, talk about watching that unfold, sort of the presentation of facts and information and how quickly they were dismissed in the name of, of party and country. To be honest, I was shocked at that whole scene, almost to the point of when he was making his speech. I was like, "This is this a joke? Right. Because it's so unnatural, I feel like, to see anything like that in today's society. But... I was just like, wow, he's really just feeding into the lies and being like, we're sealing off the entire city. Nobody comes in or out. Like, that to me is crazy. Right, cut, cut the phone lines. I mean, that, it's like not only are we uh, you know, sealing off the city, just, there's no communication with the outside world. What know? was really interesting about the way this played out, so first of all, again, Game of Thrones fans, that was Donald Sumter who played Maester Lewin, who in that show was this calming influence that gave incredible advice and had tons of credibility. And I I almost think that casting was incredibly intentional just because of that, because as uh, a Game of Thrones fan, I'm on the <coughs> Game of Thrones after show here at the network, um, this, this character had this meaning to me and his, again, just incredibly authoritative voice. And with him delivering this, remember, that's the way they must have felt about someone like that. You mentioned he is old enough to have been around during the revolution. He is certainly someone that was an officer and had the credibility during the Second World War that would have been in charge of major party apparatus at a time when the Soviet Union looked very ascendant, very technological. And so when he combines that with that final mode of let's not let our citizenry almost get in the way and and do things self-defeating like get worried about their health. That was incredible. 
Yeah. No, and I, I, it is it is hard to believe because you know as as look as as in vogue as it sometimes can be to uh, you know chastise the way that uh, the there's like a there can be a cult of personality in the United States and people it, it, it you you can't really compare it to this because this is the sort of thing where if you object in that room to all the carrying on you'll probably be brought outside in shock. So you really have to applaud. You have to be all in. And, even you know, so even the guy who's like, didn't you see what's happening? Even he has to, like, be like, all right, I, hey, I said my piece. I'm good now. I did what I thought I had to. Now, he should probably walk out of that room and drive as far as he can before, you know, Roblox stops him. But, uh, this yeah. This is their moment to shine. Yeah. Right, as exactly. As he said. Yeah, and uh, you know, and so the interesting thing with the way that it unfolds, and I think we'll get to know a lot of these characters as the weeks go on. Uh, there, we really start with uh, Ludmilla and Vasily. That's her boyfriend, the firefighter, and you know, we see the actual firefighting, and they talk about this is what they did. You know, they talk about this on the HBO podcast. Is that? Yes, they they put water on flames that came out of a a nuclear reactor. Uh, Someone picked up the graphite from the core that exploded. And then you do see his hand shortly thereafter, you know, and you just you see anyone who gets closer to any of these flames. You see their faces are already red. Now you see extreme cases, you know, inside, you know, closer to the, the core itself. You see people that are basically half melted and things. But anyone who gets anywhere near it, it's like as soon as they, they back away after a few seconds, you know, when, when he looks down just into it and his face is red. Within uh, seconds. Within seconds, yeah. And uh, and then so obviously Vasily's there and he's he's doing his job. He's He's fighting the fire. And it's like, yeah, just a fire on the roof. And you see everybody there and, you know, people are thinking oh, this is a this is a little bit different than what we were told. But I don't think people really suspect anything, you know, and I think in outs- the plant. Yeah. Some people. Oh, yeah. But I'm talking about yeah, in the okay. outside. I'm talking about the firefighters, all the people watching. Some people in the plant even are just like, mm. but yeah, the majority of people in the plant and uh, I'd say the majority of people in that, that bunker underground where, by the way, they make sure to know everybody knows that we're going to be safe in here. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, what do we need to be safe from? Well, don't worry about that. We're just going to be safe down here. So I thought that was an interesting uh, little inclusion in there uh, that this room was built uh, in case there was ever a nuclear attack from the Americans. Uh, so just sort of the the naivete, uh, just the, the really the blind loyalty in, in, in again in country and party. Just everybody, no one's assuming that that you're being lied to, that anything's being kept from them. It's also this early; things aren't even really being kept from them. You know, this is just it's still in the early stages. It's hard to get the information. I think in the weeks ahead, we'll see the calculated effort uh, to do that. But uh, Juliana, what did you think about the way that they? They really show just everybody's just kind of really just going about their lives as though it, well, it's just a fire in town. You know, mm-hmm. well, everybody's going to be fine. The, the fire brigade's here. They're going to put it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was interesting because in the HBO podcast, 
you know, he mentions people were really truly just going about their lives. He said there was a wedding the next day. Yeah. You know, people were sunbathing. Yeah, they say that they, that that the the guy who reportedly went sunbathing uh, didn't uh, do well long term. Right. But yeah, that, that that was the most interesting thing that I took. Which again, it was a great podcast. But you take away from that that there were people there were there was a wedding the next day. It's just like, well, yeah, there was a fire, but why would you cancel right. your wedding? You know? Because if it's think not- about how much borscht we have on ice, you know, we're, we're, what are we going to do if we don't? have a wedding go ahead right but it's like if it's not directly affecting you at that moment in time you know people they just go about their lives like and for me i thought about the way that our lives are now something like this they would never be able to keep a secret because of the power of social media and our you know our internet and our phones and everything like the minute something happened there would be thousands of pictures out everywhere so for me it just kind of put in perspective like then Versus now and how far we've come. Right. I mean, even if you think, you know, uh, further back, obviously, uh, the, you know, we were not as well connected. Uh, we were very connected. But when 9-11 happened, there were images that were out there. I mean, that unfolded on live television. But actual on-the-scene images and things were, you know, yeah. being circulated pretty quickly. So... Uh, you know, and, and there are look. A, a, a perfect example is China. Something like this happens. They they can they got a switch that they can turn mm-hmm. off social media, but in the immediacy, you're still going to have some indication of something wrong happening before they actually get to that. Even in this instance, we would react differently because of things like social media and be armed with more information. But we would also get still some of that disinformation that was out there. Think about. Uh, they talk about the dosimeter, and for those that don't know, a dosimeter is a dose meter yeah. uh, for radiation going up to, was it, 3.6 Rankins, yes. which is, I think, the chest X-ray level, yeah. which was wrong because it only went up that high. Right. right. So it's like, well, it says 3.6. Yeah. That yeah. was information that our readings at the plant were 3.6, so that would get out there for a news cycle mm-hmm. or for a cycle of social media. Think about the people talking about just drink Vodka every hour, what was it? Drink vodka every hour for four hours and that will decontaminate you. So we'd probably have both the information and the disinformation both more easily at our fingertips. Yeah, no, no. I think that the the the, the spin would have uh, been out there right away. And that's sort of one of the interesting things, too, is that there are the – what are the, the meters called? I was just going to call it a meter. But you dosimeter. Actually, the, the dosimeters. So they had the good ones locked up in a safe, locked. which is great. It's like, <laughs> yeah, but, who, but no one has the key. And the one guy's like, ah, I'll go get it. Probably because it was imported from the West or something like yeah. that. It was expensive. <laughs> right. And, and then that's another instance where – well, we used it, and it didn't seem like it, it worked. Then we used another one, and then this is, again, people just not believing. It's like, no, this isn't what happened. And, and it went from 3 to 200, yes. so 70 times. Right, exactly. So, uh, you know, I think that this first episode, we're really in the early stages of what's going to happen. Uh, I think that we see some really powerful imagery at the, the end of the episode. First is just the stream of ambulances heading there, you know, as the the doctor, the female doctor talks about earlier in the episode that we referenced, is just like, why is no one coming here from the fire? Well, they're getting here now, and I, I think we'll we'll see a lot of that next week. 
But then also just the, you know, we'd already seen children playing in the snow, but then you just, you see everyone in their uniforms, all the kids heading to school and the, you know, we've seen that dark cloud and then the bird just falls from the sky. I found that to be a really effective last image, something mm-hmm. that really stayed with you. What did you think about that, Jelana? Yes, definitely a good precursor to the next episode and kind of what's to come. Um, we actually just got a comment from one of our listeners. Chris said, he just said, it's scary knowing this is based off a true event, but I do feel like true stories like this are a lot more scary than a common scary movie to this day, which I yeah. 100% agree with and had similar thoughts when I was watching. Yeah, I mean, I think that's why people are so fascinated by, you know, this is this isn't the same exact thing, but like a true crime story. It's like, oh, it's like just remember this mm-hmm. really happened. So, you know, in, in this, it's such a complicated story. There's so many things happening on so many levels. And the fact, as mentioned in the HBO podcast, that before this happened, they had done a test that night. And what, you know, I think if you put that in a script, I'd be like, no one's going to believe that. You got to take that out. They didn't do a test that night because, you know, then they would, it wouldn't happen. What were you going to yeah. say? Jordan? Well, just relating to the images and the visual and the, the scariness and how, again, we, we referenced they use some of the cues of, of horror movies. Um, I, I don't know if you guys thought this, but I thought the times where they looked into the room with the fire going on yeah. and it was a different kind of fire. This is a, I mean, I, I, I don't know how much we've done of our physics, but some sort of a different higher energy fire plasma. And it looked literally like the mouth of a beast. It looked right. it looked it, like a monster to me it, in a couple of times we did it, see that. Right. It's not like it's an older movie now, but the, the movie Backdraft, when, you know, you open a door and the flame pours out, it's more of like almost like a flickering, you know, it's a completely different kind of fire. And the people who work there, the ones who see it know, like, okay, I know what this is, but you still have mm-hmm. the people who, well, my job is to be down here and manually turning these these levers, and it's literally killing them. Yeah. And I, I think that these are some of the terrible things that we're going to see in the weeks ahead, that people are literally melting on the inside and then also some of them burning on the outside. They all know they're going into the belly of the beast yeah. uh, metaphorically and most likely to die. So yeah, and I mean, even the, the the guy that has to go and look down into it, he's like, "Well, and I'm not going to do that." Well, the bosses make sure that a soldier takes him to do that because, as I alluded to earlier, if you don't do what you're told to do, there's there's plenty of guns around. There's no shortage of bullets. Um, I know we have to wrap up, uh, but uh, Juliana, were there uh, any other of the production notes or anything that you thought was interesting that you uh, took down either from from the show or the podcast that we wanted to include before uh, we said goodnight? Um, well, just really quickly, I was looking at some news articles and things about production and what they did with scenes, and I thought it was really interesting. So for that power plant scene where the firefighters are putting the fire out and all that stuff, um, they used a soundstage that was already built in Lithuania, but to get all of that rubble, they actually paid to demolish a building oh, to wow. put all of that stuff down there so it looked real. And I thought that was really interesting because it's not really something you think about all the time. But Yeah, and that's the interesting thing, too, is that uh, they filmed in Lithuania and Ukraine, so obviously a lot of the crew is local hires there mm-hmm. on the scene, so you have a lot of people who especially in Ukraine, would remember the Soviet Union. And there's a lot of details. One of the most interesting things I thought was that 
you didn't have to pay too much attention to things like the firefighter uniforms because there was one uniform designed for the entire Soviet Union and everyone wore it. So you didn't have to be like, oh, do they wear anything different in this? No, you just had one thing. Uh, so there's a lot of great details like that. And uh, this just really flew by, but uh, we'll be here uh, Tuesdays at 9 Pacific over the next, well, four more weeks for all five episodes. And uh, we can uh, circle back to any thoughts that anybody has if you're watching the uh, archived version. You can leave comments on YouTube, uh, on iTunes, Spotify, any of those places. Or you can also contact us on social media. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at ChristianDMZ. And as I mentioned earlier, one of the many shows that I host here is The Trump Report, also Tuesdays at 4 Pacific, 7 Eastern. And uh, Jeremy, where can people find you? You can find me here and on Sunday in the Game of Thrones after show. And Julana, where do people find you? You guys can find me on Instagram at Julana, and I will be here with you guys every Tuesday. That's right. Uh, thanks so much uh, to everybody who joined us. Uh, really looking forward to uh, continuing this conversation next week. Uh, we'll see you then. Our founder, Kevin Undergaro, and me, Maria Menunos, would like to thank you for tuning in to AfterBuzz TV. Remember, we're not just the first, we're the biggest in the world, and we're the only destination for all your favorite TV shows. Whatever you crave, we've got it. So go to AfterBuzzTV.com and check out our lineup. Buzz you later. <laughs> the views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.